0: Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Thursday. Welcome to our program. I'm Bill Shanks here. Throw them under the bus Thursday. Your chance to throw someone in the sports world under the bus. I got someone to throw under the bus later. I'm going to enjoy it. We appreciate you being with us here on this Thursday afternoon. We have football, baseball, basketball to talk about, the usual sports we talk about here on the show. And we, of course, um, continue to enjoy the beginning of baseball season with videos and quotations and things going on down in Northport with the Atlanta Braves. And just that's part of it you know that's part of the enjoyment of spring training for baseball fans is to have these daily reports that you get from the reporters down there of course when we're down there you get them from us but it's so fun to to i mean every player is basically interviewed and You get reports on how they're doing. You know, everybody's doing great. Everybody's ready for the season. Everybody's ready to go. And so um, if you're a baseball fan, you love it. And I tell you, I already know someone who I'm throwing under the bus. I'm throwing Ken from Cumming under the bus. Because Ken from Cumming, see, he takes on a different tone during baseball season. See, he's my friend when it's football season. Everything's good with old Billy when it's football season because he's a Bulldogs fan. He's a Falcons fan. Well, he's, you know, he, he used to be a Falcons fan. He's, he's as Falcon a fan as you can get. But when baseball season rolls around, see, his bread and butter is painted different colors than mine. His is painted blue, like Dodger blue. So sarcastically today, he asked me earlier, three baseball segments today? And I responded to him, nine. Yesterday, he wanted UGA talk right in the middle of my baseball discussion. He was just being sarcastic. I mean, I guess he wants me to talk about Shohei Otani and Yamamoto and all the other immigrants playing for the Dodgers. I'm kidding. I just like to poke fun at the Dodgers. Anyway. Ken from coming, I guess we will have to listen to Chuck and Turnoff for a few months because I'm going to be talking a lot of Braves baseball. Maybe they can be talking about the Dodgers there. I'm kidding. I like to throw him under the bus. But anyway, I just saw a I just saw a, a, an article, and I have a feeling the Falcons may be involved in this. This is from Pro Football Focus, going off the rundown here. Four NFL trades that could shake up the 2024 offseason. Ooh, maybe I'm wrong. Justin Fields from Chicago to Pittsburgh. Let's see what they give up. The trade compensation is a 2024 second-round pick and a 2025 first, uh, rather fifth-round pick. I'm sorry. Fifth-round pick in 2025. So a second and a fifth. Well, again, I've said many times from the Falcons' perspective, if, in fact, the Falcons get a, Another pick from the Jaguars, which they're supposed to for the Ridley trade. I would not mind using that pick. Which it's a second rounder only if the Jaguars sign Ridley to an extension. So I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. I think if it's not done, then it's a third round pick. So we'll have to see what the deal is about that. But uh, that uh, it's interesting about that compensation there. And the Steelers are supposedly going to be involved. Now they have Kenny Pickett. They've gotten rid of Mitch Trubisky right? So, and the funny thing about that is, you know who the Steelers offensive coordinator is? Well, it's none other than Arthur Smith. But now, the other part about the Pittsburgh situation is, and I don't want to alarm my couple of Pittsburgh Steelers fans who are listening to the show, is that Ryan Tannehill, who of course quarterback for Mr. Arthur Smith in Tennessee has already been linked to the Steelers as well. So what will the Steelers prefer to do? Will they prefer to trade for Justin Fields or sign Mr. Tannehill? I don't know the answer to that. Let's see if there's any other deal here. Hassan Reddick, the defensive end edge rusher from the Eagles to the Texans for a second-round pick in 2024. Hassan Reddick, there was a rumor the other day that said that he wanted out of Philadelphia. He's a Philadelphia kid, and he has had, three, I think, three or four straight seasons of double-digit sack numbers for, well, he's only been with the Eagles for two years. He was with Carolina for one year. But this has him going from Philadelphia to Houston. Well, Houston, my God, they already have Will Anderson. Holy cow, that would be kind of something. But, I, I, you know, Reddick came out and said, He thinks he's – well, he said he didn't really believe that uh, he had requested a trade and that he wanted to stay in Philadelphia, so I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Then they've got Khalil Mack, another edge rusher, going from the Chargers to the Lions for a fourth-round pick. That's an interesting situation. Um Khalil Mack, still a pretty decent player. Then they've got Devontae Adams, a wide receiver from the Raiders, scoring the Jets for a second-round pick in 2025. So Falcons not mentioned in there, but it was interesting to see the compensation that they predicted for a Justin Fields trade in case the, the Falcons are going to down that, that row, um, which is possible. Um, let's see. Wow, Eddie from Ackworth just went after See, this could be this could be show changing here. So Ken from Cumming is really on thin ice. And Eddie from Ackworth is gonna back me up on this. So Super Seventy Sports, which is one of the best Twitter accounts on Twitter. Earlier today, uh, at ten oh two, they tweeted whoever they are, but it's a really funny entertaining twitter account super 70s 70s sports they tweeted out here's your periodic reminder that dale murphy should be in the hall of fame remember when harold Baines led the league in homers twice won back-to-back mvps and played a gold glove center field me neither to which i reposted that and also retweeted that and said amen because we all know that dale murphy should be in the hall of fame well, Ken from coming and I mean this could Ken I hate to tell you but this could turn the Bill shank show listeners totally against you he responded on there to me when did he do this I mean th- this this is like r- really damaging to his to his uh well his humanity to be honest with you at 110 I missed this earlier but Eddie from Mackworth didn't he said in response to that the guy's a wimp i talking about Del Murphy now. Eddie McQuarrie said, Dodger Breath should be banned from your show till October for saying this. By the way, you can't call someone else a wimp if you are one yourself, especially not Murph. So I, I think we need to have, you know how, like, sometimes you just leave it up to the community that you're in to decide whether a member of the community is allowed to continue on or not? We may have to vote later on the show if Ken from Cumming can continue um, because that could be a little problem. A big problem. Yeah, we we we're gonna have a we're gonna have an issue with one of our members here, and he's a Dodger. You know, he thinks Steve Garvey ought to be in the Hall of Fame for what Hall of Fame the to, for fathering fifty children. Do you know that Steve Garvey's running for Senate? God bless him. He's a Republican, but still, Steve Garvey. I guess he thinks he can get all of his children to vote for him, and he may win. Anyway, um, the big story here in the state of Georgia today is really something that's kind of interesting. And that is that we've had a coaching change in college football in the state of Georgia. Kind of big one, as a matter of fact. Sean Elliott, who is the head football coach at Georgia State, is leaving the Panthers to become an assistant coach with South Carolina. interesting part about this is when Steve Spurrier retired and no longer wanted a coach Sean Elliott was the one who took over as the interim coach at that point in time and of course was not kept as the permanent coach but now uh, Shane Beamer the current coach at South Carolina has decided to bring him back as a an offensive assistant coach I believe his tight end coach is what they decided to, uh, to to give him as far as that title is concerned. So it's a little weird that obviously Sean Elliott's returning to South Carolina, but what's even more interesting is that Sean Elliott and his team started spring practice two days ago. Like this morning, before this broke, I actually saw a story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in the morning paper in Atlanta about Georgia State football with Sean Elliott as the head coach. And now he's gone. He's leaving to be an assistant coach at South Carolina. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. (laughs) A couple of very interesting ways to look at this. Number one, the money that he made at Georgia State is probably not as much as what he can make at South Carolina as an assistant coach. I don't know what Georgia State pays their their head coaches, but I'm going to guess, let's say it's a half million dollars. Well, assistant coaches in the SEC can easily make more than a half million dollars. Not all of them, but there are, are, are probably a large percentage of the assistant coaches in the SEC. I don't know about large percentage. There There is a, a percentage of coaches – That's probably higher than you expect that can, in fact, make more than a half million dollars a year. So did Sean Elliott have a chance to make more money with this situation? Yes, he did. There's no question. I don't even have to know the specifics of this. But the timing is so interesting. And and Elliott said in a prepared statement, it's extremely difficult to step away from the Georgia State football program, particularly the players, and the staff who have gone above and beyond. As hard as this decision is professionally, it's something that I must do personally. Now, look, I don't know what's going on in Sean Elliott's life. That's none of my business, none of our business, right? I don't know what it could be. Obviously, again, the finances have to be part of this discussion here, unless there's something back in Columbia, South Carolina. And I don't know where Sean Elliott's from originally. I, I, I just don't know that would, I guess, require him to be in Columbia, South Carolina. But regardless, um, it's interesting because of what happened last week with Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly is a longtime head coach in football, both at the college level with Oregon and UCLA, and also in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles and and also the San Francisco 49ers. And the amount of money he's made is, I mean, he's probably made a fortune, to be honest with you. Chip Kelly, and I think, I want to say when he went to the Eagles, I think he got like $8 million. I mean, he he got a lot of money to leave Oregon. And, you know, Oregon, he was probably making pretty good money at Oregon, too. But so, anyway, I'm sure Chip Kelly is very well off. And you may remember Chip Kelly was the one who a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, really kind of went off on 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 what's going on in college football and how there there are just so many things that are are being done now that are 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 issues that need to be dealt with. I mean, he he had a laundry list of things that he believed was really an answer for the for the problems in college football. And You know, I I think that his decision to leave UCLA as the head coach and go to Ohio State as the offensive coordinator is obviously not about money. You can't tell me that Chip Kelly is going to be making more at Ohio State than he made at UCLA. I'm sure UCLA paid him a very handsome fee to be the head coach. But considering what his comments were uh, a few weeks ago about college football, It makes you believe that Chip Kelly was just tired of what has to go in to being a head coach. And right now, the job of being a head coach in college football is much more demanding and stressful than it was in years past. These coaches now have to recruit their own talent on probably a daily basis. Now, if you're a coach like Kirby Smart that has an unbelievable amount of staff members under your under your list of employees, it's not as big of a deal because you can assign as many people as you want to to work on whatever you want them to work on. Hey, I want you to be the linebacker's liaison that if you hear a linebacker on our roster is maybe wanting to leave, you come tell me. I mean, there, there's no telling how many – how many players, or rather how many staff members there are that can truly help monitor even things, something something like that, where, hey, if if you hear he's going to leave, you got to let me know, and you got try to try to persuade him to not leave, and stuff like that. I mean, staff members have jobs that pr- we probably can't even fathom of how maybe petty some of the things that they have to do, but it's because the head coach doesn't want to do it. And the more money that an athletic association provides for a, a head coach to use on staff members, and I don't know what these people make. I mean, they, they may make good. They may make 50,000, 60,000, 70,000. Some probably do. Some of them may make six figures, for all I know. Some of them are probably entry level jobs that are, are just to try to get into the sports business. Maybe they make 30000 40000 or $50,000, and yeah, if you're out of college, that may not be a bad thing. I don't know. I made $14,000 in my first TV job, and that was in 1993, and that was awful. But if you have a staff that is able to really control some of these things that you have to deal with now as a head coach, like a regular recruiting of your current roster, it's a little bit easier. If you don't, it's probably Hell. Let's just say, for example, and I don't know the number of how many staff members are at Georgia that, can, that are truly like support staff, you know, that are called support staff members. Let's say that number is 20. You know, how many are there in the same kind of capacity at Mercer or at Savannah State or at Fort Valley State or even at Georgia State? Probably a fraction of them, right? Probably a, a, a low percentage of the same type of jobs at smaller schools and smaller universities. So, is, is that part of the reason why Sean Elliott said, I'm, I'm, i i got to leave, i got to go? Now, of course, is it good for him to do it in the middle? Well, I won't say the middle. At the start of spring football? Well, it's not good. We talk about the commitment these players have to make, and maybe Sean Elliott's like, "Well, hell, commitment—they're not making a whole lot of commitment to me. Why should I care about making a commitment to them?" And again, this may have something to do with something in Sean Elliott's life that is nothing uh, about what we're talking about here. But I think we're going to see this. Remember the story several weeks ago of the Boston College head coach who decided to to, to leave as a head coach and join the Green Bay Packers, I believe as the defensive coordinator. You got a head coach in college football in the Power 5 ACC insert your own joke here that doesn't want to be a head coach anymore in college ranks and instead wants to go be a coordinator in the NFL. Now, NFL coordinators make a lot of money. Right? I mean, NFL coordinators probably make as more or much as a Boston college head coach. And I would not think that Boston College has the best type of support staff comparatively. So was that a situation where that coach decided it's too much? I just want to coach. And maybe he believes that if he goes to the NFL as a defensive coordinator and the Packers do well, he could be in that cycle where he could be a head coaching candidate a year or two from now and make even more money than he was making as the head coach at Boston College. Because he certainly wasn't going to do anything – to make him look like a great coach coaching that program because that program hasn't been great since Matt Ryan was there. But it's just interesting this has happened because of what's going on in, in college football. These coaches have a lot to do. I don't know how they do it. I mean, I work hard, I, I in, in what I do for a living I work extremely hard. I work a lot of hours. You know, I I don't have a wife and kids, so this this is my life and I enjoy it. I love what I do for a living. But I work hard. And sometimes I'm tired where I just wanna turn everything off and you know, I don't even know how to describe it, just turn everything off for a while. But I, I I run a business and I have to do it. And I don't have a huge support staff. The support staff I do have is great and we work great together, but I work hard, and most people do work hard. I, I know there's a perception that not a whole lot of people work hard anymore these days, but there are a lot of people in this world who do work hard. But these coaches have unbelievable responsibilities now, and I don't know how they do it. I truly do not know how these coaches do it because there's so much to deal with. Transfer portal, NIL keeping your players you have out of the transfer portal, replacing the players who leave from the transfer portal with a transfer portal player, keeping communication with your players on your roster at a high level, and also monitoring players who you've recruited in the past who may be with someone else who can sign with someone else and yet may someday want to come knock on your door and come to your school later on. It, it, it's and, and, oh oh, by the way, try to win football games. All the roster management stuff that is hard. You know, we assume that Kirby Smart enjoys roster management only because it's done very well at the University of Georgia. Kirby Smart may detest having to deal with the roster issues on a regular basis. And it may be the staff that he has put together that has helped him be perceived as someone who is an expert at managing his roster. But this is tough. What's going on in college football today, it, I think it makes most of us who monitor and watch this pretty much say, how the hell do they do that? So when I see a coach leave, even after spring practice has started, I'm like, what in the world? But then it makes you wonder, has another coach like Chip Kelly, like the guy at Boston College, and I can't remember his name right now, just said to hell with it. I want to coach football. I don't want to deal with all this other mess that coaches, head coaches in particular, are having to deal with. It's an interesting thing to me. I mean, that was shocking this morning when I heard that Sean Elliott has left Georgia State to go to South Carolina. Coaches usually have a a desire to be a head coach. Not everybody. Some coaches are very fine at being an assistant coach, whether it's at the high school level or whatever. Now, a lot of coaches will say, well, I may need to scratch that itch to see if I can be a head coach. And they may try it and see if they like it or not and see if they're successful or not. But to see head coaches all of a sudden say, uh, I just want to coach football. Maybe this and all that comes with this job right now is not for me. It's really interesting, and I think it does, again, say what's going on in this sport. Next, we'll talk baseball. Just for Ken from coming, we're mocking Ken from coming just because he's he's listening. Uh, we will talk uh, a little bit about the Hawks, too. I don't know what to do about the Hawks. I really don't. I, I just I don't know what to do about them. We can't throw them away because they're our team. But, man, they lost by 23 points last night to the Charlotte Hornets. And it's not like Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson are still with the Hornets. Shocking loss by the Hawks. We'll talk about that as well. I'm Bill Shanks. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. Welcome back to our show. Thanks for being with us. All right. um, Couple things from spring training that uh, I I want to talk about. Uh, The reporters had a chance to talk with A.J. Minter on Wednesday. And A.J. Minter is in the last year of his deal. He could be a free agent after the 2024 season. So... Uh, he is kind of in the same boat as Max Freed is, as far as potentially being in his last year. A.J. Minter is making $6.22 million, which is really good. But A.J. Minter said that he wants to stay a brave his entire career, which I, I don't I don't blame him. I would, too. I mean, A.J. Minter has been part of the, kind of the rebuild, if you think about it, because A.J. Minter was drafted by the great Roy Clark and Brian Bridges, who are now with the Tennessee Royals. And they they drafted A.J. Minter in the second round of the 2015 draft out of Texas A&M University, and he was coming off the Tommy John surgery. And, you know, he convinced them that he had enough Stuff and Moxie, they loved his makeup to where they, they were like, we want this guy to be a Brave. They knew they wanted him to be a Brave. And A.J. has had seven really good years with the Braves. Well, really six of seven. There was one year where he was not very good. That was 2019 where he had an ERA of 7.06. But he he's really been great overall. You can't say – I mean, has A.J. – driven us crazy sometimes yes because he's not a closer and and that that can skew your thought on a relief pitcher sometime because it's like well what what has A.J. Minter done as a closer and and in a non-closers role well I think we know without even knowing the numbers when A.J. has been a closer he struggled but for the most part this guy has been outstanding in his seven years with Atlanta, he's pitched in 345 games, all in relief, 3.35 earn-run average, 270 hits allowed in 314.1 innings, with 112 walks and 387 strikeouts. Strikeouts, innings, pitch ratio, excellent. Hits, innings, pitch ratio, excellent. He's also saved 35 games, 10 last year. After he had a real rough start last year as the closer when Rosiel Iglesias was hurt, A.J. settled into the setup role as I and everybody else knew that he would. And he was great. <laughs> I mean, he had 82 strikeouts in 64 and two-thirds innings pitched. And, and you know, the, the ERA was 3.76 but I'm telling you, a lot of that was what happened early on in the year when he struggled as the closer. So, you know, he 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 throws hard. He he has a great fastball. I mean, in the second half of last season, after the All Star break, AJ Minter had an ERA of 1.85. He he was just great. I mean, he he really pitched his butt off, and after. June first, it was even it was even better. Let me look this up real quick. Pitching game logs, and after June first, his first two months were just awful, not very good at all. Well, and we could even limit this down here a little bit. His first, his last AJ Minter's last forty six games, he had an earned run average of one point seven three. Okay. His first, let's look at these first two months or so. His first 24 games, he had an ERA of 7.43 with seven saves, three blown saves. So, uh, uh, again, that that's production you just can't always get from a relief pitcher. I, I think A.J.'s great. I mean, he's a left-hander. He's 30 years old. He'll be 31 in September. So, you know, he, he they've they've got to make a decision on AJ Minter. And AJ said in the article that they really haven't had any discussions about a long-term contract. But we know how Alex Anthopoulos is. That could happen tomorrow. Could happen any time. And I think one thing that you have to keep in mind about AJ even if he uh, does have a good year, as long as he keeps that velocity, he's going to have a chance to be retained by the Atlanta Braves. Pierce Johnson and and Joe Jimenez were brought back. I mean, Pierce Johnson's making $7 million this year. Joe Jimenez, $8 million this year. They were signed to extensions after becoming free agents after last season, and Alex brought them back. You know, and so I'm not going to be surprised at all if if A.J. is brought back after this year. And, again, A.J. Minter just had a, a tremendous – has had a tremendous seven-year run with the Braves. So, if that velocity stays and he has another good year, I don't think we should count – AJ mentor out from being part of this and look, AJ is a tremendous leader in that clubhouse. I mean, he, he, he's been around to where people know, Hey, this guy was drafted by the Braves nine years ago. He's been part of this bullpen. He's been on all six division winning teams and he's a brave, you know, and, and, and again, has AJ driven us crazy sometimes? Yeah, but I, I love AJ mentor. I think he's great. And I, and I love the bullpen this year. I, I'm telling you, folks, y'all are going to have to calm me down about this Braves roster. And, and I know I'm not a very reliable one to go with when it comes to Braves' prognostications because, I mean, especially when I was young and the Braves sucked, I was still optimistic they would turn around their hideous seasons. I mean, in 1988, I thought they were going to be a second or third place team, and they lost 106 games. So you have to temper my enthusiasm sometimes but I don't know how anybody that's even a more objective because I mean if the Braves suck I'm going to tell you they suck I think you know that but I don't know how anybody who can look at a roster and not say this is a tremendous roster for this team and also how can you not say that a 104 win team like last year's Atlanta Braves has gotten better that's difficult. And, and A.J. Minter said that in his comments yesterday. He said, I, I, you know, Alex Anthopis has done an outstanding job with his team. And, and to get Chris Sell – I saw a video of Chris Sell today. That was pretty cool. To get Jared Kelnick, to, 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 to get these relievers back is a tremendous thing. And, you know, I think A.J. is a big part of that. Rossell Iglesias is going to be the closer. And hopefully he'll stay healthy because, as a closer, he's pretty good. He'll again drive us crazy a little bit. All closers do, but he—he's he's been pretty good for the Braves. And then you have A.J. Minter, Aaron Bummer, Dylan Lee, Tal- Tyler Matzik. and then on the right side, along with him at uh, Iglesias, you have Joe Jimenez, Pierce Johnson, possibly Reynaldo Lopez. Bel Hernandez. Uh, I mean, it's it's a great bullpen. There's no question about it. So, uh, Mentor saying what he said yesterday about, hey, it's World Series or bust. We're hearing that a lot so far. We're hearing that a lot from Northport where these players are are opening their mouths and they're saying, we inside this clubhouse, we want to win the World Series. Now, does that put a lot of pressure on them because – they're saying that out loud? Well, sure. But, I, again, I just carried on for a minute about how good this roster is. I don't know why anybody would not look at this roster and say, hey, this is a team that could win the World Series. That's That, that expectation is realistic because they should have a mindset of World Series robust. If they don't win the World Series, is this going to be a disappointing year? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the Braves have – A historic offense returning from last year. As I've said, even if they're at 85% of what they were offensively, they're still going to be really, really good. Can they average 5.7 runs a game again? I don't know. But if they average five runs a game, that's pretty damn good too. And the pitching staff's gotten better. So when A.J. Minter or any of these other guys say over the next six weeks during spring training, hey, I think we can win the World Series. It's World Series or bust. We have an expectation here. We want to win the World Series. We don't want to just go out in the first round. Well, what do we want them to say? I'd be disappointed now if the Braves players didn't say this. A lot of these guys, like AJ Minter, have experience winning a World Series. It is euphoric. It's great. It's unbelievable that they're they have that in their back pocket already. You know, they have a ring, they have the experience, and Brian has said it even the last two years. These guys have been there. They know how to go about this playoff business. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get into a rut and score eight runs in four games and choke, because that's what they did last year. And they did. I mean, they scored eight runs in four games, and they simply, while choke may be a hard word, losing a 28-3 to lead is choking. What the Braves did was simply get cold at the wrong time. And and it was awfully disappointing. Horribly disappointing. No question. Disappointing to them. I'm sure all year, all off season rather, when those players, every one of them, Acuna, Olson, Riley, all the ones that put up big numbers from April through September, stopped and thought about the fact that they scored eight runs in four games, they just shook their head and said, how in the world did that happen? And you know what? It does happen because it's baseball. Can a team with a great pitching staff have a bad series and a bad postseason and all of a sudden get knocked out in a first or second round? Yeah. You know, because it's happened. It happened to the Braves 20 years ago. It's happened. Braves had three Hall of Famers in their rotation for a decade. They won one World Series. One. So, it, it, you know, as I said yesterday when we were talking about this, baseball's tough, man. It, it, Braves aren't the only team going to spring training in Florida or Arizona and saying, we want to win the World Series. Let me tell you something. I don't give a damn if you're the City Royals and you have zero chance. Your players better be going to spring training and saying, we we want to be better and we want to do the best we can. And, yeah, our goal is to win a World Series. I'd be disappointed if the Braves players weren't saying that. So, i love what we're hearing out of florida so far i think it's great and i think it's going to continue because again for the next six weeks we're going to be talking about this team and about what is to come for 2024 we don't we don't know we can't we can't project what's going to happen in october okay we're, we're seven and a half months from october and You don't know who's going to be hot, who's going to be cold, who's going to be hurt, who's going to be available. You don't know. But can we look at what's going on with this roster on paper and say for the next six months from April through September, this team ought to be damn good? We should, and we can, and that's why people like A.J. Mentor are saying what they're saying so far. We'll take a break, come back, and we'll change the tone from a really good team on paper to one that just simply can't win. And wonder why the Hawks lose by 23 to Charlotte. Back with more right after this. 14 minutes before the top of the hour. Thank you very much for being with us. I just saw some uh, very sad news on Twitter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Former Atlanta Falcons linebacker Fulton Kuykendall has died at the age of 70. And Fulton Kikendall was a, a member of the Falcons in the late 70s on that grits blitz defense through 1984. He played 124 games, 93 starts. He was on that 77 team that allowed a record low 129 points in 1977 that's a defense you want to emulate he broke his arm in 1977 tackling OJ Simpson oh Lord Fulton you're lucky to be alive for that long period of time but he was 6'4 225 he was called Captain Crazy by his teammates and there are so many people who remember that name and remember, it's uh, kind of interesting that obviously a player for the Atlanta Falcons had a first name of Fulton, right? Fulton County and Fulton Kuykendall is just one of those names that Falcons fans like myself know and, and love really from the 70s and 80s. He was 70 years old and unfortunately he was battling dementia. According to the article by Steve Hummer of the AJC, he had had dementia for a long time. He died Thursday at a memory care facility in Canton, Georgia, at the age of 70. His wife, for 44 years, said that Kuykendall's brain will be donated to Boston University as part of its ongoing study into traumatic brain injury among NFL players. Sherry Kuykendall said that today, along with the fact that the rest of his body will be donated for medical studies. But... That's hard to hear. That's that's, that's rough now because uh, there's just several names in the history of your team that just kind of will bring a smile to your face, and I think Fulton Kuykendall is one that a lot of people remember. He's um, a hard-hitting son of a gun now. There's no doubt about that. His wife said that he had had 28 surgeries, knee replacement, three shoulder replacements, and... He was part of the first successful players' lawsuit against the NFL, charging that the league misinformed its players about the dangers of brain injury and failed to adequately protect them. And he was so scared. Uh, There's a quote from him in 2017. I hope I don't get any money just because I don't want to have that disease. And it was. He did get that, unfortunately. Um, Sherry, his wife, said he loved the sport. Uh, I think his first salary was for nineteen thousand dollars and he was like, I can't believe they're gonna pay me nineteen thousand to do what I love. But um sad. That that's uh that's rough. That that's that's a shame. again, there there are just people that uh you may have grown up watching a team and, and, and hearing a certain name and Fulton Kaikendal I think was one of those names. I think a lot of you out there who grown up Falcons fans will probably agree with me that that's like wow that that sucks. That really does kind of hit because he was uh kind of a Falcon legend. And I I love the name. He does sound like a football player. Fulton Kaikendall. <laughs> and he I mean I remember he was uh Falcons had some hard I mean the Falcons defense, my god. They those defensive players of course. 77, I didn't watch him in 77. I was only 7. But, like, when I started watching them in 79, 80, of course, uh, and and the great team in 80 that should have beat the Cowboys, those guys, they were just – I mean, Tom Pridemore. You know, Tom Pridemore was just a, a different cat. He he was a different type player. And and later, of course, they had Scott Case, but Tom Pridemore was that first type of, of, of safety and defensive back that was just – I mean, they just played hard. Greg Brazina, Buddy Curry, uh, of course, Claude Humphrey—unbelievable um, players. But man, they just—they back in the day, they just played different, you know. And and of course, unfortunately, we hear stories like this all the time where they suffer for it. It's awful. It's it's awful. It's it's truly awful. We love football. We we love the sport, and I don't think anybody. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe a Manning. I'm just kidding. I, I, I really I don't want anybody to get hurt. I, I just don't. I, I don't want – for my enjoyment of football, I don't want for people to go out there and to knock their head until they can't know who their children are in 30 years. I, I'm not interested in that. But I think we've known forever that football players pay the price. They pay that price of the risk of getting hurt. And so anytime you hear any story, I mean, you know, they said that Tommy Nobis had this at the end. And, you know, they just played so different back then. It'll be interesting to see if the changes and improvements they've made in the helmets will help moving forward for for people 20, 30, 40 years from now. I pray to God that it does. Uh, really, because, it's you know, I wish 70 sounds awfully young, especially since I'm 16 years from it. But it's like, well, you know, that's a shame if he was robbed of anything uh, as far as years of his life. And just sad, really is sad. All right. Um, the Falcons, of course, uh, are probably going to be very, very uh, reflective with someone like that who was with them for a decade. Uh, I, I think uh, Steve Barkowski quoted in the article by... Steve Hummer and, of course, Bart was in that era and all those guys. They were a great bunch of players, no question. A lot of of fan favorites in those teams in the mid-'70s when the Falcons first kind of started to show signs they were going to be good uh, until, well, until Dan Henning came on and ruined everything. Hawks lost last night by 23 points. They did not have either Clint Capella or Okongwu, Onyeka Okongwu, and obviously that was a problem. Um, Charlotte Hornets have won three in a row, so it's kind of interesting because they did, in fact, make some changes on their team at the trade deadline. Perhaps those changes have made them a little bit better. But the 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 Hornets came in with like 12 wins the entire season. I, I mean, it's embarrassing. Uh, Charlotte came in with a record of 12 and 41. They are in. 13th place in the 15-team Eastern Conference. And Atlanta went to Charlotte and lost by 23 points. And I tell you, um, they got problems on this team, and I don't know what's going to happen. We talked yesterday about the Trey Young trade rumors, but last night I was talking with Jason Walker, our good friend who, of course, we have on the show, and we'll have him on Tuesday on his normal day next week because he is – I have never in twenty three years of knowing Jason Walker heard him this negative about what's going on. He is really, really upset about this situation with this with this ownership group and the fact that they have kind of allowed this to to fall apart and so i you know it's um it's, a, it's, it's really disappointing because we've seen them play well, and then they turn around and it's like, how do you lose by 23 points to Charlotte? Oh, well, they didn't have their centers. Okay, it's Charlotte. It's not, you know, the Celtics. It's the Hornets, and you lose by 23 points. It's just hard to, to digest. It's hard to kind of accept as a Hawks fan. And I, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. You know, we're going to have the trade, Trey Young, or not trade, Trey Young discussion now probably until June when the offseason rolls around. But it's, it's disappointing when you root for a team and watch them play regularly as I do with the Atlanta Hawks to see them go to Charlotte and wet the bed. Not play well and, okay, you don't have a center, but – 23 points to a team that came in with 12 wins the entire year that's hard to accept and that's why number one fans are just getting more empathetic by the day for this team and number two the fans who do love them are saying what the hell you're listening to the bill Shanks show